Hi, and welcome to the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and this is the podcast that gives you a peek into the lives of the homeschoolers next door. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 41 of the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and I'm so happy you're joining me here today. Well, I tell you, we take listener requests really seriously around here at the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. We like to make sure you guys are happy. And we had one not too long ago for us to interview a secular homeschooler, somebody who homeschools from a purely secular perspective, who is not homeschooling for religious reasons, but maybe homeschooling because they just didn't like the school situation that their kids were in, or they wanted academic excellence or some other reason. And so we set out to find somebody and came up with my good friend, Kristen Hotchhalter, who blogs at teachingstars.com. I've known Kristen for a number of years now, and she is always a pleasure to talk to. And I think you guys are going to really enjoy her perspective on homeschooling as a secular homeschooler. We'll get on with that podcast right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Homeschool Snapshots podcast is brought to you by Maestro Classics. Do you want to bring classical music into your children's lives? You can add music to your homeschool curriculum today with Maestro Classics. These award-winning CDs and MP3s feature storytellers Yadu and Jim Weiss, accompanied by the world-famous London Philharmonic Orchestra. Choose from a dozen titles, including Peter and the Wolf, The Nutcracker, and our family's favorite, The Story of Swan Lake. What makes Maestro Classic CDs so special is that each CD and MP3 contain a 24-page activity book with illustrations, puzzles, games, and fun facts for kids. You can even download free curriculum guides that combine classical music with science, math, geography, and other subjects. All CDs and MP3 sets include tracks, which explain to your children how the music was made, who the composer was, the history and story behind the music, the instruments used by the orchestra, and most importantly, how to open your ears and really listen. Listening is a learned art, and Maestro Classics guarantees that these recordings will explain and develop listening skills in your children. Visit maestroclassics.com for free shipping on all CDs and MP3s. They start at just $9.98. As a Homeschool Snapshots listener, you can receive 17% off your order by using the coupon code PAM at checkout. Go to www.maestroclassics.com. That's maestro spelled M-A-E-S-T-R-O classics.com, where the best classical music curriculum awaits your homeschool. Kristen Hockhalter never imagined she would be a homeschool mom, but now she finds herself happily homeschooling her three daughters and one son. She blogs about their learning adventures at Teaching Stars, where she describes her style as classical with a dash of whatever strikes our fancy. Kristen joins us on this episode of the podcast to share a little bit about her experiences as a secular homeschooler. Kristen, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Oh, I am so glad you are here. Uh, Kristen is a particular friend of mine. We've known each other for a few years, and so it's always a thrill to get to chat with her and interview. So I get to get all the dirt on you today. (laughs) Well, tell me a little bit about your family. All right. Well, I have three daughters and one son. 
my oldest is Mira, and she's 10 years old, followed by Stella, who's eight, and Lyra, who is six, and Tycho, who's coming in at a year and a half. Okay, so Kristen, I have to tell you that every time, you know, we've met a couple times in person and our kids have met each other. And it's so funny because every time we talk about you here, my daughter Olivia will be like, oh, is that the lady who has the girls who are named after the stars? So that's how she remembers you is the family who has the kids who are named after the stars. And now you have Tycho. Yes. And now we have Tycho, who's named after an astronomer. My husband's an amateur astronomer, and we're both extremely interested in astronomy. So our children all have celestial themed names, which uh, we like and find unique. Yeah. And my family loves it, too. (laughs) So (laughs) there you go. Well, how did you guys get started homeschooling? It was actually interesting. It was something no one in my family has ever homeschooled. I don't really have any friends that had homeschooled either. So it was never even on my radar originally. I went and I started when my oldest was three years old at the time. Being that first-time mom, I started panicking, thinking, what are we going to do when kindergarten comes around? And I started researching local schools and private schools and charter schools. And every so often, the word homeschool would be thrown in there. And my initial reaction was kind of this knee-jerk, no, no, that's definitely not for me. We wouldn't be able to do that. And my husband actually met a woman. He works at the local planetarium here. And a woman came in one day with uh, these amazingly bright children who asked these really specific questions. And so he walked up to them afterwards and he said, I have to ask you, what school do your kids go to? Because they're so well behaved. They're so articulate for their age. They ask these really deep questions. And her response was, oh, we're homeschooled. So right away, he gave her his card and said, can you please call me so I could connect you to my wife? Because I'd like you to talk to her. And to this day, they are very close family friends of ours. And they really kind of gave me the information that I needed to realize it was something that was attainable and doable for us. And um, yeah, that was really kind of what started it was having that little keyhole look into they weren't these weird, unsocialized, weird, creepy kids like I had in this image in my head, this weird stereotype in my head. And they were not that at all. And I just realized homeschooling was not what I had envisioned it. Once I lost that misconception, it just opened up so many doors and homeschooling just became a natural evolution to where we are now where I can't imagine doing anything else. Right. And you guys have really kind of embraced the lifestyle. I mean, you've you've moved out to the country and you have quite a bit of property there and, you know, a place for the kids to run wild and free and really kind of taken to it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did. We moved out mostly because my husband wanted to have clear, dark skies at night so he could uh, someday build his own observatory. So the girls, that obviously is something, as I mentioned, is really strong in our family. So that's something that we impress upon them. And yeah, now having the land, having them out there, we have chickens and they have their chores. And um, it's been such a good fit for our family overall. I can't imagine being anywhere else. That's awesome. Well, I have a multiple choice question for you. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Your, your homeschool day is most like which literary classic? Would it be A, cheaper by the dozen, B, much ado about nothing, C, Around the World in 80 Days, or D, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Oh, oh, that's tough. Hmm, that is a really tough one. I would have to say, well, there are the days that I myself would say I am more like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. (laughs) I'm a work in progress, and I will admit that. But as far as school days themselves, can I go off the multiple choice and say we're kind of like little women? Oh, you're such a rebel. But yeah, I guess you would be, wouldn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, now we have Tycho, but he's still young enough yet that he 
although the infant and toddler phase is encroaching, the boy stuff hasn't kicked in too fully yet. So we're still ensconced in all things girl at this point. And um, the emotions and the joy that that brings. Yeah, very much little women at your house. I could totally see that. Well, if you had the use of a time machine for one day for a field trip, when and where do you and your kids choose to go? Oh, that's tough. Historically, there's so many places I would like to take them. And let, let me ask you this. Am I limited to being earthbound? No, I'm not going to limit you to being earthbound because I know space is your favorite. (laughs) Well, I was going to say I would love for the girls to witness that triumphant moment when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were walking and taking those first steps on the moon. Because not only would that show them what humans can achieve, how far they could go, but Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin didn't get there by themselves. It was the blood, sweat and tears of thousands of people who contributed to get them there. So it was this, you know, how far we had worked together. And then also to be on the moon witnessing those moments, but then looking back and seeing the earth, I think gives such a great deal of perspective to have that viewpoint and to at one hand feel very insignificant when you see the earth, but on the same hand feel extremely unique in all the universe. I think that would be really a moment I would love to witness and share with my children. Oh, yeah, that one would be great. I'm a space nut. I don't know if you know that or not, but I'd love that period of history and that the whole Mercury, Gemini, Apollo period. Mm -hmm. So I'm geeking out here over your choice. That one's fabulous. (laughs) So, well, Kristen, how do you fix a homeschool day gone bad? For me, I have to pinpoint first why it's bad. Find out the root of it. Is it gone bad because of me? Is it my attitude? Do I need a mental health day? Because I do take those. I think those are important. Is it because of the schedule? Have I over or under compensated for things? Is it attitude with the kids? That seems to be, you know, having so many younger children, that seems to pop up a lot. So what I found works for us, I used to try to incorporate when I would see them getting a mood, I would blare the music and have them do a little dance party. That doesn't always work. I think sometimes it might come across if my if my 10-year-old's in a bad mood, trying to get her to get up and dance with me is not as easy as it sounds. So now what I've, I've realized works best for our family is we'll impromptu do a read aloud because that, no matter what, you lay down, you cuddle together, read aloud seems to be able to change any situation and dynamics. So what we do when we're having a bad day, or even if Tycho just needs a nap at a weird time of the day, we all pile into the bed and read, even if it's not technically scheduled for that time period. It just finds a way of kind of grounding everybody, and then we can start again. It's kind of like a good reset button. Yeah. Well, what is your favorite family read aloud? Do you guys have one that you just love? We literally today finished the third of the Harry Potter books, so we're getting ready to start the fourth. So we're really into Harry Potter mode right now. But I would say the book that probably that I witnessed myself having a big impact on the girls was Anna Green Gables when we read that together. That was the first book I actually cried while reading to them, which I think let them realize how emotional books can be and that it's okay. That's the whole point of reading the books was to enjoy the roller coaster with a character. So that book holds a special place in my heart. Now, had you read it before you read it to the girls or was that your first time? No, I had not. So you had no idea. I had no idea. And I know I had seen the movie at some point. I don't know if I'd actually ever sat and watched it from start to finish. I thought I knew the whole story, but I didn't necessarily see the ending coming, which was very upsetting. But it was such such a good book. Like that to me was that really 
we had read, there were a couple books we had read in a row right before Anne of Green Gables that just didn't work as well for our family. We had tried The Secret Garden and we really had a hard time with that. We had done Winnie the Pooh as a read aloud. And for some reason, I just, I know some people really love it. I had a real hard time doing that as a read aloud. So we had some that just, so when we read Anna Green Gables, that sparked every synapse. Like we were so immersed in that book. That was a really good one for us. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I totally agree with you about Winnie the Pooh. And I actually have a secret for that one. And of course, I am not going to be able to remember his name. I think it's Peter Dennis. That's what I want to say. But there is an audio. Are these the audio tape? Yes, the audio version. You can actually get it on Audible now. You don't have to listen to a tape. Oh, great. (laughs) But, um, But yeah, and I think what it is with Pooh. Well, first of all, everybody tries to read Pooh too young, as far as I'm concerned. You don't really start getting the humor of Winnie the Pooh until you're probably a good eight or nine years old. And then the older you get, the funnier it gets. But mm-hmm. um, there's also the, the kind of the, the British accent, the dialect and kind of the droll British humor in there. And honestly, it needs to be read in a particular way. And yeah. listening to the audio really made Pooh come alive for us. But we couldn't do it as a read aloud either. So I completely suggest the audio. And I think you'll enjoy it if you were to put it in the car and listen to it in there. I think you guys would enjoy it a lot more. We will definitely try Winnie the Pooh again that way, because I would like to. Um, that w- I had always said that was the one book I actually preferred the movie of, the cartoon, obviously. But I would, yeah, I would definitely do the audio. I think we'll give that a try. Yeah, I think you'd like it. So, Kristen, you said that homeschooling was never really anything you intentionally set out to do from the start, and you kind of fell into it later on. But can you tell me what you've learned about yourself from homeschooling that maybe you didn't know before? I was a product of public school. And in that vein, I, the majority of my public school experience, I think what I learned the most, what I took away from it the most, and this is kind of sad to admit publicly, but I learned how to do the minimal amount to get by. And I don't even know, I don't think I would have known that at the time that that's what I was doing, but I wasn't pushed. I wasn't really, I never found a passion or an interest that really sparked it. And so for me, this homeschooling journey has showed me how rewarding education can be on itself, how school doesn't have to be a dirty word, how education doesn't have to be a boring word. We really, it gives you the freedom. And for me as an adult, I'm learning along with them now. And I'm reclaiming my education, which I think for me has been the most powerful aspect that I wasn't even expecting when I I thought I'm just going to homeschool my children. I didn't realize how educational it would be for me and for me, that has been one of the most rewarding aspects as well. Yeah, sometimes I think that's the best thing about homeschooling is I get to constantly keep learning. You know, I'm always learning. And even things you think you know already, Mm -hmm. you realize I had so many gaps and so many, and it's really, it's made so many things click and cemented other things and just helped put other things into place. And I'm excited to think of all the uh, work my brain's doing right now. And I hope that in the long run, that really uh, helps me as I get older. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about kind of life as a secular homeschooler, because I know that there is a large, well, probably a growing community of secular homeschoolers out there. But I also know, do you feel like you're in the minority when it comes to being a homeschooler? I'm really lucky in the community where I am right now here in Florida. There is a huge community of homeschoolers. They're very diverse. It's grown exponentially just in the few years that I've been doing it. So in that vein, locally, I don't necessarily feel that I'm in the minority. When I'm researching things online, sometimes I feel like there are more Christian resources, there are more 
that things are more geared for the Christian and the biblical worldview than I have access to. But overall, and again, in, this is in my own local community, I'm sure it's different across the country, but where I am, we're really blessed with a very diverse, very large group that is rapidly growing. Right. And is it, when you're saying a diverse, large group, is it a diverse, large group of secular homeschoolers or just of homeschoolers in general? So you can reach out and find all kinds of people to hang out with. Just, yeah, homeschoolers in general. We have a secular group that's really large here. We have a couple of secular groups that are really large here. We have a bunch of Christian groups. We have a bunch of unschooling and we have classical schoolers and all these different groups, each one growing by hundreds every year. So it is really, if you're looking for it, you'll find it. It's been really, I've been really lucky in the community here. Well, and you're also part of the Classical Conversations community. So I wanted to just touch on that a little bit because I can remember a couple of years ago us having conversations and you kind of struggling back and forth with the idea of doing this because in some ways it appealed to you. And then in some ways you wondered if it was going to be a good fit for your family. Mm -hmm. And you've done this for two or three years now. This is our third. Actually, we just completed our third year. We're starting on our first fourth year. So this is going to be our first review year for us. But yeah, when I first heard about classical education, that felt right to me. It felt like it aligned with my teaching style, how I wanted to teach, and also how I thought my kids would do well learning. So that appealed to me. However, in the classical community, I do feel more that I am more of a minority. I seem to see most of the classical people that I hang around with and correspond with, they have a biblical worldview where we're coming at it and we don't have that. So in the beginning, it was, it did give me pause because I thought, not only do I want to go into this, but will we be accepted? And will they, will we go in and are people going to be trying to convert us or are people going to look down on us or are we going to be the outcasts? And again, I know it really depends on the community and who you have and who the director and leadership is, but I've been two different CC groups in my local community and they were both so welcoming and it's been so amazing, the support. And I don't feel like the minority. They make me feel like part of them. So it's been, I really am blessed in that regard. It's been an amazing experience for us. Have you found most of the material that you've encountered at CC kind of approachable for you that you've been able to to use it or work with it? Yeah, we do definitely work with it. My husband is definitely, I was raised Catholic. So I have a bit more biblical knowledge. And my biggest concern, because my husband doesn't. He's more atheist. He doesn't. So I was curious what he would think when I said, hey, I'm contemplating going into this Christian group. I wasn't sure what his take would be. But he actually was of the mindset. He's, you know, he wants our children to learn about this stuff. And who better to learn about Christianity from than Christians versus what they're going to hear, you know, out there in the world. So it's been a good rewarding experience because my girls do have questions. And now I do feel comfortable saying, oh, we could go ask Mrs. So-and-so from CC um, or one of their tutors or one of their friends. And it's been really great in that way. So we, we were of the mindset, too, that we don't want to keep our children from hearing about the biblical worldview. We want them to be exposed to it, but they're also exposed. For example, the CC timeline song, it starts out with creation and the fall. So we teach them that because that's the CC timeline. That's what they're going to be singing every week in school. But we go home and we do talk about the Big Bang. Another big deviation is we talk about evolution where CC, while they mention it, they don't teach it the way we do, obviously. But again, it's all about exposure. I want my girls exposed to this. I want them to know the differing viewpoints out there. And then when they're older, they can take what works best for them. 
Nice. Okay. That's, yeah, that's really good. And I think coming at it from the opposite viewpoint, because, you know, I am a Christian and my family, while I wouldn't say we use all Christian resources, because we certainly use what a lot of people would consider secular resources, we also like to acknowledge that there are other views out there and look at what those are from some of those other resources as well. So I think we're kind of approaching the same problem from two different directions. Different angles. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Well, let's talk about some of the resources. You blog a lot about astronomy resources because this is a particular passion of yours. And you did the Homeschooler's Guide to the Galaxy, which was fantastic and had so many resources from a secular perspective. But you also included some from a Christian perspective. So do you find that it's difficult as a secular homeschooler to find really good secular resources for your studies? I think because homeschooling is on the rise and it's only growing in numbers, I have not had difficulty in finding different resources. There are secular resources out there. And for my own family, I am able to fairly easily adapt even biblical worldview stuff. Again, I take what I need from it and tweak it as I see fit. But I really haven't found a lack of resources being a problem. There are so many out there. And in this day and age with the internet and the availability of things online and how quickly it is, I only see that growing and being less of a problem. Maybe that was the case 10 years ago, but I don't feel that is the case right now. Right. Well, what advice would you give homeschooling families who may want to try to adapt or tweak a curriculum for whatever reason to make it work for them? It's such you just have to go in with an open mind and ultimately you have to do what fits your family. I can't tell you what works for my family because I know that, you know, there's all I consider myself, although we are secular, there are some secular homeschooling families which think it is horrible to expose your children to a Christian co-op. I'm not of that mindset. If I was of that mindset, I think you might have a harder time making things tweak and work. Again, I want my girls to know the biblical worldview point of even taking the religion out of it, just from a cultural and historical standpoint, I think it's important for my children to know about these things. I don't want, because of the religion, to get myself worked up and lose the exposure that they could be gaining from it. And again, ultimately, they're coming home with me. So we might be singing about creation in the fall in the classroom on Fridays. But when we come home, that's when I'm going to talk to him about what me and daddy believe and then kind of go from it that way. But at least they're getting the exposure and they're understanding that even though we believe this, we can go to CC and love our friends and have fun with the teachers. It's not it doesn't have to be my way or the highway. So, Kristen, what do you wish more religious homeschoolers knew about secular homeschooling families? I think the majority of secular homeschoolers really want to work together with fellow homeschoolers, not see a divide that it's us against them or kind of competing views in that way, but just really work together for the benefit of making this educational journey for everybody's kids the best that it can be. And for me, the best that it can be was working together with my local classical conversations community and working together with the curriculum and the resources and making a community for my girls. And the fact that they have welcomed us really means a lot to me. I think kind of one of the things is, is we really all are after the same goal. We're all after great relationships in our family and a good education for our kids and having them home with us. It doesn't really matter kind of what side you fall down on. We're all working towards the same thing. 
Yes. Our homeschool moms really can work together and we've accomplished great things. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. You know, we hear a lot about the special challenges of homeschooling boys and advice for moms who are raising a house full of boys. What about, do you have any tips for the mom who's raising girls? You want to keep in mind that your daughter's first role model. And with that comes a lot of responsibility. And you want to really, you don't want to give them an unrealistic view. So I try to give myself as much grace as I can and also to admit to them when I make a mistake to let them see me. You know, I apologize to my kids if I do something. Sometimes I blow up just because as a homeschooling mom, it's really hard because you're on all the time and it's hard to step aside from the teacher role and sometimes take on the mother role. And so your kids, your daughters specifically are seeing you that, you know, they're always with you, that you're there with you everywhere you go. So in that regard, I try to let them see authentically what I really want to show them is that doing it all doesn't mean you do it correctly 100% of the time, but you try and you give it 100%. And I guess that's the difference. You're not going to do everything perfectly, but as long as you're trying. And my children know, you know, we might have hiccups in homeschooling. The house might be a mess. Laundry does not get done with any mere semblance of regularity, but they know we're trying and that this right now is, this is our life and that it is 100% okay. You know, that's interesting because I just have the one girl and the two boys and I often think, and I'm getting the nine-year-old boy. And so, you know, this is one of the things I'm trying to keep aware of is how I'm talking to him and what kind of expectations I'm putting on him. And, you know, what is the relationship going to be like when he's a teen? I'm a little worried about it. You know, how is he going to accept all of this coming from mom, I haven't even thought about the fact that, you know, in kind of even a different special way, I'm a role model for my daughter, you Mm -hmm. know, in a way that I'm not for my boys. And so, yeah, thank you very much for bringing that to my attention and giving me something else to worry about. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Well, but again, but then you can, you just want to show yourself because a lot of time I have a really good friend of mine and whenever we're going through a really difficult situation. She'll turn around on me and she'll say, well, what would you tell Mira or Stella or Lyra? And when Olivia is a woman and she's juggling and managing different things, you want her to give herself grace and not to beat herself up over stuff and not to be nitpicky. And so I'm trying to work really hard on those aspects, which seem to come natural to me, whether it's a cultural thing for females to compare and contrast and to, and I'm trying to show them just be happy with who you are and just be happy with what you've chosen. And if things work, just like curriculum, you tweak it, you change it, you get it to work, do whatever you have to do to keep moving forward. Yeah, I think so. Wow. That's good advice. All right, Kristen. Well, I have a pop quiz for you. Are you ready for it? Oh, no. Oh, no. I know. Well, you get to use that homeschooling brain you've been uh, exercising (laughs) over there. (laughs) Okay. All right. Pen or pencil? Uh, Pencil. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. Dishes or laundry? Neither. (laughs) Poem or short story? (laughs) Short story. High tech or low? Low. Dystopia or fairy tale? Fairy tale. Talker or listener? Listener. Preschool or high school? I'd have to go with preschool because we haven't hit high school yet, so I'm not sure. On the go or stay at home? Stay at home. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me today and chatting with me. I appreciate it. It was great catching up. Hey, tell everybody where they can find you online. I haven't been blogging as regularly, but I am keeping it up, and I got some great resources for secular folks out there, and it's at teachingstars.com. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. 
And there you have it. Now, if you would like links to any of the books and resources that Kristen and I chatted about today on the show, you can find them in the show notes for this episode of the podcast. Those are at pambarnhill.com forward slash HSP41. And guys, this was the last episode of season four of the podcast. So we will be taking a brief hiatus over the holidays to spend time with our family. But never fear, we will be back in January with some more great homeschooling interviews to encourage you and inspire you and inform you in your own homeschooling. We very much appreciate you listening to us and you guys have a Merry Christmas. Until we're back in January, keep on homeschooling. Homeschooling.